and that you might lead us in all things. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. All right. When I was in junior high, uh, and just so you know, junior high for me was like circa 2000. Uh, I remember every day when we were in junior high, we would go into homeroom class. And it was a special class where there wasn't really a subject that was taught. You were just there. And one of the things we would do in homeroom class is they would play this news show on the video screen. Uh, it was produced by students, uh, so you know the quality was, it was fine. <laughs> the fact that they had something every time was pretty impressive. Uh, but what I remember was the intro to it. I'll never forget it, because it had this song that once you heard it, well, it would be stuck in your head all day. Except what was fun about the song was that besides the chorus, you really couldn't sing a word of the verse. Uh, and this is where we're gonna have some fun today. Jeff, can you sing a word of the verse from this song? So you would just like, if you ever tried to sing this song, yeah, let's give it up. The joke with this song is that if you ever tried to sing the song, you would just mumble the chorus. Na, 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 na. And then you would get to the chorus. It's the end. be stuck in your head all day. I've been thinking about this sermon for a month, and this, this song has been stuck in my head for like 90% of that time. So I, I had to Google this song, because what in the world is this about? Why is it the end of the world, and why does the singer feel fine? Well, it turns out I didn't get a really satisfying answer. Uh, Michael Stipe, the lead singer of the band R.E.M., who sang that song, uh, reported that the song actually came from a dream he had in which he was at a party where everybody else at the party had the initials LB. So like in the song, he makes reference to Leonard Bernstein, to Lenny Bruce, to Leonoid Breshneff, and to Lester Bangs. The rest of the song is just a stream of consciousness. Like he just kind of made it up, which is really impressive because if you've heard the song, it is a lot of words in this song. But I, I wanted to talk about it today because I was really hoping for a deeper meaning to the song. Because as I worked through the scripture, I realized that the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine, might be the best anthem, the best slogan for the resurrection that there is in modern media. You see, we get an important fact about the resurrection wrong. Resurrection is not coming back to the same life we've always lived. Rather, resurrection is about becoming something completely new. 
It involves dying to the old so that something new can emerge. In other words, it's the end of the world as we know it, except we feel fine. So let's listen to our scripture for today from the Gospel of Matthew. Well, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead. And indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said greetings, and they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and sisters to go to Galilee, so they will see me. May God bless this reading. So recently, among scholars, there has been this trend of making a distinction between resurrection, which is what happens to Jesus, and resuscitation. When we think about Easter and the resurrection, we often have the image of a person coming back to life, which is resuscitation. And Jesus did do that. He did die, and three days later was raised. But there's this important distinction between resurrection and resuscitation. Because resuscitation is a returning to life. It is when the body, which was dead, is now alive in basically the same way. You can imagine somebody who has a heart issue and they say they code for a moment and they bring them back. You would call that resuscitation. Resurrection is different. Resurrection is coming back to life, but not in the former way, but in a new way, as a new creation. So the biblical scholar N.T. Wright puts it this way. In early Christianity, in Paul, but not only there, resurrection will be an act of new creation accomplished by the Holy Spirit and the body which is to be which is to be is already planned by God, this will not be a simple return to the same sort of body as before, nor will it be an abandonment of embodiedness in order to enjoy a disembodied bliss. It will involve transformation, the gift of a new body with different properties. So this kind of language is all through the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks about how death has, become, has come into being because of one man, Adam. And in resurrection, we're receiving new life, not born again as Adam, but rather born again as Christ. We're not going to be the same. Embodied, yes, 
but in a new way. And for the early Christian writers, this wasn't even just about our bodies. This was about the earth's body, the creation's body, all of the things that creep and crawl among the planet. In Romans 8, Paul writes, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know, Paul writes, that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together in pains of labor, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So you get this sense throughout the entire New Testament that something is happening that is changing everything about our existence from our individual selves to the nature around us. Something is occurring this leads in the book of Revelation. John writes about a new heaven and a new earth. He describes an image of a new Jerusalem coming down in place of the old. There is a passing away and something new coming. We have to keep an eye on this emphasis. This isn't simply the restoration of the old. It's not just about coming back to life. Rather, resurrection is about dying to what was in anticipation of what will be. And in his book, The Universal Christ, the spiritual author and Franciscan monk Richard Rohr writes about this death and resurrection cycle. And he sees it as this pattern in all of creation and all that there is. Everything he says goes through this three-step process. Organization, disorganization, and reorganization. Or to use the language of the cross, everything goes from life to death to resurrection. Notice we don't ever really go backwards. There's always this forward momentum carrying us into a new future. And even when things look the same, we know that they are being changed. Even if we are in the same place today that we have been for the last however many years, we know that we are not the same we were then. We are going through this process, life, death, resurrection. And of course, we can learn something from our scripture today about the particular feelings that we get in the midst of this process. There are a few things in each of the gospel readings that are always the same. The first and most notable is that it is always the women who are at the tomb. The men have always scattered and gone their different ways and are debating what they're gonna do with their lives. And it is the women who have decided, no, we need to stand vigil. So they show up. But another thing that tends to happen is that it feels like there's always a messenger who tells them, don't be afraid. And you wanna know what they do next? They be afraid. 
every time. The scripture today is no different. These women discover the empty tomb. They are confronted by an angel who tells them not to be afraid, tells them to go back and tell the other followers of Jesus that he has been raised from the dead. And what does the text say? The text says they left the tomb quickly with fear and joy and ran to tell the disciples. This is a lesson, not just in scripture, in life. Telling somebody not to be afraid very rarely makes them not afraid. In fact, sometimes telling somebody they shouldn't be afraid just ramps the fear right up. What, what, what should I not be afraid of? But I think there is wisdom in this lesson. You see, we are all in this process. We are all in this place, this time in which things are passing away, in which the former is dying and the new is being reborn. And you know what? That is an unsettling proposition in our lives. We are humans. We like predictability. We like to know what's coming next. We like it when things are as they seem. I mean, you'll go watch a horror movie in which you want to be surprised, but you don't want your Tuesday to be like that. You want it to be predictable, to make sense. And yet, in Christ, in the resurrection, we know things are passing away. The way things were isn't going to be the way they are. That there is life and there is death. And then there's new life. Organization, disorganization, and reorganization. And the message in, in the resurrection accounts in the Gospels isn't that we shouldn't be afraid of what is falling away. It is the end of the world. It's the end of many different worlds. We're probably not going to be able to get rid of the fear that comes along with that when things aren't the way we expect them to be. But what we can do is what the resurrection calls us to do. In the midst of our fear, we can find hope in what's emerging. Because holding on to the way things were is one of the ways in which we deny the resurrection. It is a basic human instinct to want to return, to want things to be the same, to be predictable. It's true in our own lives. You know, we age and we wonder if we can return to what it was like when we were younger. What's that old saying about youth is wasted on the young? If you could go back with the wisdom you have now into your younger body. But we also know that our relationships change. But sometimes we try to cling to the old feeling, to an old certainty. And it's just not quite there. Or the church in America today, which is declining. We all know this. We've all heard the stories. It's really easy to want to return to 50 years ago when things were predictable and normal. We sometimes place our hope in that idea that we can move backwards, go back to the way that it was. We so often want resuscitation. We want to bring back the life that was. 
but we can't. And that makes us afraid, which is totally normal. And from the story of the empty tomb, we know that fear is what arises in us when things are not the way that we expect them to be. That is a natural process. But what we get from the story of the resurrection is that the inevitable fear that rises up within us, that apprehension at what is going to happen, that, that fear that things will not be the way they were, that that should not prevent us from being hopeful because it is in the dying that something new comes into being. So you see, this is why Michael Stipe was right when he wrote that song. He doesn't know it, but I do. It is the end of the world as we know it. And what we learn from that very first Easter is that means something new, something surprising, something full of life is here. It is the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. A little fearful, a little apprehensive. But the text also says, filled with joy. And so I wonder, what is it that you are holding on to? Are there changes in the horizon of your life that are making you feel just a little bit antsy? Like you're not ready for it? Is it a change in relationship? Is it a change in your job? What about in your faith, in your belief? Are there ideas that you've always held on to that you're having trouble holding on to and you're worried about letting them go? It is okay to be fearful. Fear is natural. But don't let that hold you back. Don't let that fear prevent you from being hopeful. Because it is the end of the world as we know it. And what do we feel? Amen. As we gather for worship today, we invite you all to connect with us. If it's your first Sunday here, we would love it if you took a moment after church to introduce yourself. Just come up and say hi. And if you're online, do the same thing.